thank you, Lord. Lord, we look to you now to take your word, which is the rock upon which we stand. You've given us, given us this word <clears throat> that we might build our lives upon a rock. And when the rains descend and the floods come and beat upon the house of our lives, they will not crash because they're founded upon the rock. Lord, there's all kinds of sand around right now inviting us to build. Inviting us to build easy and quick. But they don't tell you the, what the, the fine print has to say. That in case of the storms of life, your house won't make it. But you've given us the fine print of your rock. Lord, open our hearts that we might receive it. My heart, that I might receive it. And Lord, touch this vessel to deliver it as you would have it delivered this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us open our scriptures. As Pastor Brown is fond of saying, whether it's your uh, mobile device, tablet, or the actual pages to John, 1 John 4, starting at the seventh verse. 1 John 4, starting at the seventh verse. We're going to be going down to verse 21. I think, uh, yes. I'm not missing something, am I? No? Okay. Just checking. <laughs> Where I came from, the children were dismissed at this point, but we're not doing that today. Is that right? Okay. Thank you. All right. Starting again, 1 John 4, starting at the seventh verse. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. 
God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. The perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. The word of the Lord. Indeed, indeed. As I was thinking and preparing this sermon, I thought about two songs. One, some of you who don't have any gray hair yet might not know about it. <laughs> the other one, you will. First is by Captain and Tennille. Some of you may have, in fact. Okay, yeah, I see that. <laughs> Love will keep us together. You, you belong to me now. Ain't gonna set you free. When those girls start hanging around talking me down, hear with your heart and you won't hear a sound. Just stop. Stop. Cause I really love you. Stop. Stop. Thank you. <laughs> I'm thinking of you. Look in my heart and let love keep us together. Oh boy. If it was so easy, huh? And then there is Whitney Houston, the greatest love of all. Huh? In that she has a verse that says, because the greatest love of all is happening to me. I found the greatest love of all, love of all inside of me. The greatest love of all is easy to achieve. Learning to love yourself. It is the greatest love of all. Exactly. Mm, really? <laughs> well, we all know that the love of our own hearts won't keep anything together. Okay? And we also know that love of self couldn't keep our dear Whitney even alive in this world. But the love that the Apostle John is about to tell us about, it is indeed the greatest love. And brothers and sisters, it keeps all kinds of things together. Amen? Ah, yeah. All right. So we're going, this is a long text. I'm not going to try to do everything in this text. So there'll be things that won't get highlighted. But I want to highlight four things in keeping with Pastor Brown's uh, uh, what is it, tirade against three-point sermons? <laughs> this is a four-point sermon, right? Yes. God is love first. God loves us. No fear in love. 
and love one another. I'm going to ask Pastor, uh, uh, Elder Ben if he keep a clock watch on me because I, I, I this could go on and I want to make sure it don't. <laughs> First of all, God is love. Verses 8 and 16 of our text. Love is an attribute of God. It is who he is. God is love. It is an aspect of his very nature. It is also a reality in the Godhead. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. The Son loves the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit loves the Son. The Father loves the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit loves the Father. Francis Schaeffer, a theologian of, of, of the 80s and 70s, and actually going back to the 50s, he used to say the one thing that helped him realize love is real is that there was this love in the Godhead. It is a relational dynamic that is happening and it happens for eternity and it's perfect. So love isn't just an attribute, it's a dynamic in the three and one. Amazing. And you know the story. If you try to figure out the Trinity, you've already got your head blown, right? <laughs> the minute you think you've got it figured out, you're wrong. Just, just that simple. Love is defined, and I'm defining it today, as self-giving for the benefit of others self-giving for the benefit of others, even to the point of giving away your own life. Giving away life itself. This is the meaning of love in, 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 the, in the New Testament. The word is agape. Agape. This kind of self-giving love. So love is not merely an emotion. Now, love has an emotional dimension to it. But our culture tries to help us think that love is an emotion. You know, what's that song? I, I love you. Ding, 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 ding. You know, I just feel it. And so therefore, I love you. I think that's, somebody knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's not an emotion. It's fundamentally an attribute of giving. Now all that God does is motivated by his love. All that he permits in our lives is also motivated by love. Both that of prosperity and that of suffering and struggle. That's a whole nother sermon. But it's important to know that. Love initiates. His actions always first. And in this case, it was he who initiated sending the son in our behalf. We didn't ask for the son. He sent the son. He initiated the action. So this is a love that sees and initiates and gives of itself to the point of death. Reminds me of that Ephesians command to husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. Ouch. <laughs> you know, the old folks used to say, if you can't say amen, say oh me. That's an oh me moment. <laughs> Secondly, God loves us. Verses 10 and 11. 
How do we know that God loves us? How was it manifest? How was it made real that in fact God loves us? The Father sent the Son. He sent the Son. Theologian David Wells put it like this, what supremely defined God's love was a sacrificial and substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. Two big words, sacrifice, you know. And we kind of all know what it means to sacrifice. But also to substitute, to step in our place, that death, that is the love of God. He sent his son, where? Into the world. Why? To be the savior of the world. Not just saving souls, he's gonna save the whole enchilada. When it's all over with, it's going to be a new heaven and a new earth where indwelleth righteousness, where there will be no tears, there'll be no suffering, for every tear will be wiped away. The creation itself is, will, be, will manifest the impact of Jesus' coming to save the world. Not everyone in the world will be saved, but he's a designated person to bring salvation to the world. Contrary to that bumper sticker that says coexist. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. Right? He is the designated person. By him, we all are saved. Through faith. We'll get to that. Now, how do we know that the Father sent the Son? I mean, really? How do we know that happened? Because there were eyewitnesses. John says earlier in this book, we touched, we heard, we saw, we handled the word of life. Hey guys, it actually came. So, you know, there's like a record that, yes, the Father sent the Son. They saw, they experienced, they, they lived it, they breathed. Yes, we know. Now, the Father sacrificed his Son to be the propitiation. Another big long word. It means... He was sent to make atonement for our sin so that the Son faces the wrath of God instead of you and me. He faced it. That's that substitutionary business going on there. Now, the wrath of God is a due penalty for sin. Really? Yeah, you know. Well, hey, you know, I just told a little white lie. You know, is that okay? No, that's not okay. As James taught us earlier in the service, if we stumble in one, we're guilty of all, and we are due to face the wrath of God. But God loved us. He loved us so much that Jesus came and absorbed the, the, the impact. He took the hit. What's the word now, I think? He took the L? Is that it? He took the L? Oh, thank you. <laughs> so these young folks are helping me out here, right? He took the L. That we might have life. Hallelujah. Glory to God. 
Wells said it this way. His death was our death. His cry was our cry. Christ died for our sins. Jesus stood in our place of captivity to sin, guilt, death, and judgment. Yes. Amen. And he was sent that we might have life through his name. Not the good life as we understand it. You know, money, sex, power, earthly significance but eternal life. Not that these other things are not good, they are, but he came to give us something more. He came to give us eternal life. A life characterized by the, by the breaking from the bondage to sin, guilt, and condemnation. Freedom from the love of the things of this world and this life that will pass away, including ourselves. That was made real to us, Terry and I, as we lost her sister. She's gone from this earth. She is rejoicing in glory. But we miss her. We miss her. He died that we might have freedom from the bondage to destructive character traits and inordinate evil passions that are rooted in our flesh. You know, those things about us that are really nasty and they need to be changed. He died that we might experience transformation. So we don't have to do, well that's just how I am, huh? You know, we can't do that. Jesus died, we might be free. Freedom from the free reign of the devil. The devil does not have free reign in your life, even though sometimes it feels like it. He doesn't. Because Jesus gave his life. And life-giving fellowship with the Trinity. Living water to nourish us through the struggles of life and the ironclad promise to live physically throughout eternity with Jesus. Do you realize how good that sounds? Ooh. Eternity with Jesus physically. It's coming. Hallelujah. Now John boldly declares we have come to know and believe the love God has for us. That is, we have come to know this love. And we know it, again, supremely and fundamentally because of the sacrifice, the sacrificial death of our Lord Jesus for our deepest problem, which is sin. So we don't know the love of God ultimately because we got money, Life is working. Our ministry is working. He's opened doors for us. We feel fulfilled. Our dreams have come true. That's not how we know that God loves us. Father, okay. The way this building structure, the sign was coming from back here. <laughs> Firstly, we cannot conclude because God has not made life work or given us success or whatever that God does not 
love us. He's already done in each one of our personal histories the one thing that proves that he loves us. He gave his life. What does that mean? That means that when we have losses or disappointments or a disillusion or we're wondering what's going on or we're asking the why God question, we are tempted to believe that God does not love us. We are tempted to believe as Presbyterians that the only thing he cares about is his glory. And that's it. If he gets glory at our expense, tough. Right? The only thing he cares about is his agenda. Whatever his agenda is. But his motives are not mixed. They're not. So, this passage is challenging us to say, how can we say, God don't love me because of this, that, and the other, when God has already done the one thing that seals the deal. He died. How do we know that Dr. Martin Luther King cared about the freedom of black people? On April 4th, 1968, he went down. How do we know that, God, that Mark Dr. King cared about white people not oppressing anymore? He took the bullet. He died. Nobody sat around saying Martin Luther King didn't love us or didn't care. He took the, he took the hit. In a small way, he took the L for freedom. Same with Jesus. Ergo, God actually loves us. He really does. Even when life is screwed up. And mind you, he sent the son not because we loved him, but because he loved us. It wasn't like, oh man, I love God. God's, oh man, you love me. Let me go do something for you. How many of you parents know what that's like? Huh? <laughs> All right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at some of you young folks out there. Y'all better love your mama and daddy. All right? Because they first loved you. Okay, okay now I'm from the city, so I, I, you know, I get a little weird sometimes, all right? So when you couldn't wipe your behind, okay, your mama and daddy loved you. All right? I hope that's all right. But, it, you know, it's true. I remember a time in my life where I had a loss. I really started doubting the love of God. I was standing at the train station and looking out the window. And all of a sudden, I saw the beams of the racks that held the, the wires for the electric train to run. And they were in the form of a cross. And I saw the blood running down in between the beams down to the platform below. And I thought, my, he really does love me. 
And that's what really started recognizing. I can't say he doesn't love me. He committed the, the supreme act. Thirdly, no fear in love. God's love drives away our fear to approach God. We, by nature, if we're honest, believe that God is mad at us. That he wants to punish us. In fact, he might be trying to trip us up so he can send us to hell. You know, he knows I'm weak in this particular area, so he sends something, you know, take me down. Then he says, I got you. If we're honest, some of us believe that. So we're always watching, you know, because we don't know what God's going to do. You know? He's this angry tyrant with a divine nightstick, ready to exercise excessive, even lethal force when we least expect it. Now, it is true that our sin does separate us from God. No joke. Absolutely. God cannot look on sin, let alone deal with it. I mean, you know, I mean, he, he ain't looking on sin, all right? But the God had loved us so much, the son, again, took responsibility for that sin so that we could have fellowship with the father and with the son. And John talks about that in, earlier in his letter, in his epistle. What we then have to do is come to know and believe that instead of what we've been believing about how God's out to get us. So that we can confess the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, as our Lord and receive salvation and be in relationship with him. When we abide in or stand on his love, rather than on our intuitive perceptions, we abide in him and he abides in us. Otherwise, you know what you'll do? Run away. I encourage you, run to God with your sin, not away from him. As someone who is a believer in Christ, run to God with your sin, don't run away. He wants to get rid of it. He doesn't want to hold it against you. He wants to get rid of it. But if you keep holding on to it, it's, being, it's already working against you. This passage tells us that the abide, this abiding trust in his love causes that love to be perfected and completed or made mature in us. This gives us confidence and assurance that we will not be condemned at, with the ungodly in the judgment. It is in his love and the work of Christ, the supreme expression of that love, that gives us confidence that we can stand before the judgment of God without fear. None. Hallelujah. The other the thing you, want, you need to know about this is that the depth of your sin 
does not regulate his love. The depth of your sin does not regulate how well you'll be forgiven. Alright? You may have felonies behind your name. You may be a baby mama with three different baby daddies. You may have murdered somebody physically, took them down. Or on the other hand, you may be a Pharisee par excellence. <laughs> and everybody knows it but you. <laughs> oh, it's again. But, <laughs> but his love took care of that sin. I remember this guy, I'm standing in this lake. Some of you, uh, uh, Lonnie may know, uh, Long's Park. There's a little lake in that park. And uh, this guy says, I never knew that God loved me until now. I was able to share the gospel with him over time. And why did he feel that way? Because he spent 11 years in prison for taking somebody down. His mama said, don't go out there with that gun. He went out there with it anyhow. And he killed him. And he thought, God hates me and will always hate me. He finally came to realize, God doesn't hate me. You know, that's how deep that fear can get in our system. Yes, yes. It sometimes takes years to be convinced. Yes. No wonder John keeps going on and on and on and on in his passage. He wants to get through that thick, thick, you know, whatever, crust. Yes. It makes us not realize. He really does love us. He really can get rid of our sin. It really isn't getting in the way. Now, I should tell you that sometimes we do go through and suffer for the consequences of our actions. That happens. Ask Dave. Y'all know King Dave, right? You know. He was out on the porch watching this, just kind of watching the sun go down and there was this lady out there bathing. And the next thing you know, he was involved in adultery. He paid for that. His, his, his one son literally ran him out of town. That wasn't God holding his sin against him. Nathan had already said, your sin is forgiven. But he had to take the rap for it. He learned from that. And often those consequences are really a means of instructing us. A means of helping us letting go of that thing for the rest of our lives. You know. So don't let that make you think that God's mad at you. Or he's turned on you. He hasn't turned on you. As a matter of fact, the scripture tells us that he allows us to go through things in trials to chasten us as a father chastens and a mother chastens a son and daughter whom they love that they may grow thereby. So don't let the devil fool you. He don't love you no more. <laughs> See? Mm, oh yeah, he does. Oh yeah, he does. Finally, we are to love one another. Point number four. Since God loved us, we are instructed to love one another. 
We are to imitate his love on each other. Now, how do we know that God loves us? Well, we gave his life for us. How do other people know that we love them? We give some aspect of our lives up for our brothers and sisters. What does that look like? John paints the picture for us so we don't have to make it up. In, 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 th in the third chapter, 17 and 18, but if anyone has the, the world's goods and sees his brother or sister in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Paul helps us with that too. He says in his writing to Colossians, here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Brothers and sisters, this family of God right here at Crown and Joy is like that. Look around. We've got black folks, Hispanic folks, white folks, inter interracial marriages, uh, non-interracial marriages, all kinds of different cultures and personalities. But we're all one in Christ. That doesn't mean that because we're one in Christ that erases our differences. There are people who believe that. It's not true. When I look in the mirror tomorrow morning, I am still a brother. Right? <laughs> Those dreads don't disappear. <laughs> right? But we're one in Christ. And that's why we're together. And that's what keeps us together. That's what keeps us together. John, Paul, Paul goes on. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy in the blood, holy and beloved. That's you and I. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with or putting up with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. There it is. How do we love each other? This is it. This is how we imitate the love of God to each other. This kind of love comes from God, okay? We can't conjure it up. It's not... You know, the love inside my heart, don't fool yourself. <laughs> the love inside my heart will not love you. That's my honey, she'll tell you. <laughs> but the love of God in you can just love in this, the most difficult situation. Yes. So it's his love through us that loves one another. Hallelujah. Otherwise, this venture would be impossible. We, we, would, we would just close this church down and go home. Right? But we're here and we're going to 
day. We're going to do this thing together because of the love of God. Warning. If you say you love God and hate your brother or your brother's ethnic group, you are a liar and do not know God. Yuck. Now check God's... Yeah, absolutely. You got it. You wait to check John's logic. Okay, he says, if you can't love your brother who you do see, how in the world you love God who you don't see? Like, that don't follow. Okay? Now, hey, I, you know, full, full, was it, full disclosure, I had a brother that I hated at one point in my life. I, I hated the dude, straight up. And one night, I've, uh, this, you know, the Holy Spirit won't leave you alone, right? So one night the Spirit said, hey, you bro, what about the logic here? And I thought, Lord, you gotta help me. Because you said, if I don't love my brother, I don't know you. And do you know the Holy Spirit helped me? Yes. So that, I just hope that encourages you. Yes. And if there's somebody out there you hate that's your brother, if there's some group of people out there you hate, that's your brothers. The Holy Spirit can help you get through that. He can. And I'm so glad. Because that scared me. Be honest. Now you might be an unbeliever here. I'm coming in for landing. <laughs> you don't have to get his cane, right? If you're a person who's not a believer, you're a visitor, and you're thinking, you know, I don't know about this, huh? Okay, all right, you know, I'm, I'm kicking it around. We just want you to know, yes, God loves you. Even if you're not really, you know, like, feeling him right now, he loves you. And he already demonstrated his love for you, as he has done for us. We have come to know and believe it. We encourage you to come to know and believe it. You might be of a different religion. And we're not here to condemn you. We just want to invite you to embrace this Jesus who died for us. And it just so happens he died for you too. So we encourage you to confess him as Lord. And you too can experience the life we receive in his name. In conclusion, let us come to understand and believe the love God has for us. Because he loves you, period. End of story. Don't run from him. Because of your sin, run to him. He's out to save you, not out to get you. And in so doing, let us love one another, leaning on his love for us, for the strength to love one another. Amen?